guys, Greg Scheinman here, Midlife Mail Podcast time. Let's get after it this week. My guest, Dean Shermay. Dean is a chef, a wellness expert. He is an author, and he joins me this week on the Midlife Mail Podcast. We talk about fitness. We talk about family. We talk about fatherhood. We talk about the successes, the failures, the redemptions, the struggles of marriage, divorce, overcoming adversity, reinventing yourself, putting yourself out there, experiencing this in the public eye, and how you separate the personal, the professional, the private, also from what you do publicly and what you put out there to be your authentic self each and every day and to continue to move forward. I really enjoyed this episode. Dean's a really great guy. We have some friends in common. We have a lot of similar interests, and it was a fun conversation to engage in. Before we get right into the show, I got to talk to you a little bit about one of our brand partners here at the Midlife Mail, Inside Tracker. I recently discovered Inside Tracker, and what they do is to help you take your health to the next level by setting up a blood test, easily showing you your biomarker results, and telling you specific things you can do to improve the ones that are at risk. The cool thing about this was I got very clear suggestions on which foods to eat, supplements to take, and lifestyle changes to make. One thing that I always talk about is before you go and jump on the bandwagon, go keto, go paleo, follow some influencer's advice, you gotta know what's going on with your body, with yourself. It's you. We're not all created the same. Inside Tracker gave me a very clear picture of what my body looks like on the inside a clear measure of whether my diet and exercise choices were helping or hurting me, and a clear idea of who or what to trust when it comes to health, wellness, and performance guidance. If you guys want to take charge of your health and wellness, I could not recommend Inside Tracker more. I know. It's hard. It's confusing. We're busy. We don't have time. They make it simple. They came right to my house, had the blood draw done in and out in 15 minutes. Boom. And then you start getting on the program. So guys, go to insidetracker.com forward slash midlife to sign up. You'll receive 25% off and also receive a free inner age add-on, this $179 value with any essentials or ultimate purchase. It's a really, really cool feature that will tell you your chronological age versus biological age. Check it out. For other information on brand partners of Midlife Mail, follow me at Greg Scheinman on Instagram. Go to my website, find the link tree. They're all listed there. And now... Let's get into this week's episode of the Midlife Mail podcast with Dean Shermay. All right, guys, it is Midlife Mail podcast time. You have heard the intro, so you know who I've got today and how excited I am to have Dean Shermay here. Well, I just made sure that I get that right also. You got it. Got it right. Nailed it. There, there we go. So we got the mics going. Okay. Still a little grainy on the video. Got the pronunciation going. I'm I'm basically done now. Like that's as good as it's gonna get, man. 
The hard part's over. Right. Now we're going straight to the cold plunge. Okay. The hard part's over. Man, that's new to my life. So uh, I'm getting used to that one. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, first and foremost, like I came across here, you know, on, on Instagram, you were hanging out with our mutual friend, Seamus Mullen. Mm-hmm. He was putting you through mm, some physical, physical, mental, maybe a little, little, little torture in there. Um, and I've been there with him. <laughs> For sure. I was like, all right, let's, let's talk. So let me ask you for, you know, first, what's your morning, you know, routine that seemed to be new, but like, what's, what's your daily, I wake up and get going. Yeah. So, I mean, for me being physically active is, I mean, I was a professional dancer and I started that endeavor since I was, I was classically trained since I was five years old. So I have to get up and and get moving in some way. Uh, but like first things first, now I've been in this like celery juice kick, but it's like a celery juice, get super hydrated or drink, you know, 16 to 20 ounces of water. And then it's like straight to the caffeine, get everything going. Even though I wake, I'm like a natural, like I wake up at six o'clock in the morning, like no matter what. And I have a son, so he's a natural alarm clock anyways, but, um, I've just always, you know, no matter what time I go to bed, like I swear, it's like my body just like gets up. Mm. So it's usually like the celery juice, um, either espresso or coffee with like a non-dairy, uh, like I'm, I'm loving the layered superfood. Like there's this turmeric creamer that kind of feels like, you know, indulgent, but you know, it's still good for you. And then within the first two hours of waking, I'm either, Going for a hike. If my son's not here, if he's with his mom, I'm you know going for a hike, uh, going to the gym. Just I love getting that out of the way first, and just kind of I know I say out of the way, even though I love it, but it's just like it's the best way to kind of set the tone for the day. Like at least I know that I have one thing accomplished, like right out of the gate, and then I just can kind of move into you know whether I'm shooting something or if I'm having meetings, whatever. I just know that. You know, I, there's, I, there's nothing worse than anticipating a workout at the end of the day. And I'm like, you know, like just kind of sitting there all day waiting, waiting for it to happen. So once it's out of the way, I'm, I'm ready to roll. That's, that's awesome. So you mentioned your, your son, when your son's in the house, who else, anybody else in the house? Do we have pets in the house? Do we have like set the, set the table at your chef for me? Who's, who's in the house? Uh, yeah. So on, on a day that it's my son, it's my son and I, and you know, we get up and we start our flow. Um, I used to have seven dogs, so I, I learned quickly that I don't want that many dogs and I don't have the, the space and the land. I was living in Nashville at the time. Um, but yeah, he keeps me, uh, way more, uh, <laughs> entertained and busy and on my toes than any animal. So we get up and that, I mean, our normal flow is just, you know, I'll get up, I'll cook him breakfast he'll, you know, maybe start coloring or do some kind of art project. Like I'm, I'm weirdly proactive where I'll try to set something up, not like crazy, but I structure his day where he's not getting up and just starting watching TV or something like that, where I'll set up a little activity or a little coloring thing. So I'll have it kind of curated and let him kind of discover it. And then, you know, he'll start coloring and doing things like that. And then uh, depending what kind of, if he's going to school or whatever, we'll have, you know, we usually have breakfast together anyways but um and then i'll either drop them off for school or we'll kind of go on little adventures um you know during the whole covid time it was like as a parent of a toddler you have to get real creative on things you can do and you know it's hard you know it's hard for you know obviously it's hard for our sanity as parents but it's also you know they need that stimulation they need to you know being out there and you know trying to hang out with kids and trying to find which kids were okay to hang out with because 
people were freaked out. I was just, I was a little more, especially with the, the little ones, I was a, a little more, you know, laissez-faire with like, okay, these are kids. Everyone's going to be fine. The fact that they're not going to socialize is going to be way worse than whatever anyone thought, you know, may have happened. Wherever you lie with, with everything, you know, being respectful of everyone. But for me, it's like, I wanted my son to be socialized. I wanted him to be around other people. And I feel like this message of stay in the house and don't focus on health and don't focus on wellness is bad for the parents. It's bad for the kids. It causes way more tension and stress in the house. So I was just, as much as I could get outdoors, I was all about that life. Could could not agree with you more. And how old is he? Just so I know. How old? He's about to be three. He'll be three in August. Okay. So, so right in the thick of it. Yeah. He's about to be a, a I think the, the term for it is three-nager. So yeah, he's a, a it's funny because it's, it's a double-edged sword, right? They're, they're the, you know, they're discovering their independence, which means they're testing boundaries and pushing you. And all of the things that I have to kind of take a step back and be like, okay, he's, he's just trying to figure out who he is in the world and he doesn't know any better. And I can't expect more of him. And, you know, I, I try to do all the things I can to set him up for success, but like he needs to figure out the world on his own and how to navigate that and like how he fits into, into all of the folds. So it's, it's pretty interesting watching. There's times where I'm just like, Oh God, the, the whining and the, the kind of just pushback. But also I'm, you know, I've now kind of gotten to that headspace of like, this isn't forever. And that's like the good and bad thing. Like, you know, it's, I'm sure, you know, with you have, you have boys as well. It's mm -hmm. like, I was holding him in the shower the other day and, and I remember just holding him and he was had his head over my shoulder and, you know, the water's just running on both of us. And, you know, like, you're not going to do that when they're 18. You're not going to no, be, definitely not. <laughs> it makes it, makes it real weird if you're doing that when you're 18. But it's just, you know, those moments are like, you're never going to have the, those moments again with them. So, you know, that's why I didn't want to let, especially last year, just kind of pass us by. You know, I still wanted to make sure that we, we had the strongest connection that we could have had. And we were doing all of the, the things that we could do. Yeah, it's it's really true because each one of these stages has its own uniqueness, you know, with with boys. And they're all great. You can go back and maybe do the report card on on certain stages, especially now that mine are, are getting a little bit getting a little bit older. But certainly now as they've gotten older, when you 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 want all of it back. You know, there there was no bad time or stage you may have felt certain times you know were a little bit more stressful you know than before but every one of the stages has something unique on it and as they get older and as they get closer to leaving home going off to college doing it you just want so much of it back you know or or to embrace every minute that you that you still have uh, but they won't get out of bed i can tell you that <laughs> very very challenging to to get their asses out of bed at this point and to do nearly as much with me as as i would like them to do but well that's the thing too i think that there's you know everyone people like to say like oh these are this is the this is the best stage this is the best stage ever like this is the best time and i think that it's like it's a it's an evolving concept right like they're all of them are the best times they're all going to be times that you cherish and i think it's you just keep building upon those memories. I, I would never want to, I would hate to be talking with, you know, like you have 18 year, you know, teenage boys who are like, you know, men now and saying like, Oh, the best time was when you were five. It's like, no, the best time <laughs> is now. It's like, this is today is the best time, whatever time you have right now. So, it, you know, looking back with fond memories, but I think that, you know, that, that quote unquote best 
keeps you know it keeps pushing forward and i think we're we're never meant to like put a, a period or a finality it's like oh you were so great when you were seven and now it's really fucking hard <laughs> and, and you know it's it's the perfect point in a way for for where we're going with with midlife male and for what we're talking about which is this midlife does not have to have this connotation of like we're done you know now like the best is all behind us you know as you said it doesn't need to be this crisis period. It doesn't need to be this dull complacency, redundant kind of, oh, okay, like I made it into my 40s or 50s. So now like, like I'm not playing anymore, you know, or I'm not doing it anymore. Or, okay, like there, we got to flip that connotation, you know, and, and the notion that, again, you stick a pin in something, you go, okay, all your best days are behind you. Like that's not really a great way to live going forward when you have a lot of life you know, still ahead of you. And yeah, especially in today's world where everyone, you know, especially, you know, when you're as conscious of, about health and wellness as, as we are, and, and hopefully more people are getting to be that way. Like you don't, the, the timeline is getting longer. So it's not just like, Oh, get to retirement age or whatever. I, I mean, for me, like reti- retirement is a concept. Well, first off, I'm, I just turned 40 yep. last year. So, but I don't think like, I don't think that the new mentality, especially my mentality is not like, Oh, I'm going to make it to 65 and then I'm just chilling. It's like, no, I have, there's all of these things. And, and, you know, as I meet more interesting people like yourself and, you know, it's just, I've been able to maintain a curiosity that's kind of taken me into all of these different realms out of my normal comfort zone of what I thought, you know, I was an expert on, or, you know, just being in different circles with different people. So I think it, it will always evolve. It's always going to be like, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm working on this project or that project or, you know, I, I, the term of, I couldn't imagine just, just sitting around going like, okay, I'm, I'm in my sixties and I'm just chilling. And these are the golden years. Like, fuck that. Like I want, <laughs> I want those years to be as high performing as, as all the others. And I, I remember thinking when I was in my twenties, oh my God, like, and I was married at the time I was, and, and I was, you know, thought I was super happy and I'm like, oh, 30s are going to be so easy. It's going to be so chill. We'll probably have a kid. And like everything got turned on its head. I went through like a shitty divorce. I moved across the country. I moved from, I was living in LA, I moved to New York. And like, you need to have those moments in your life. Like there is no cruise control and you need, you know, it's those things as shitty as they seem in the moment is it's a reminder of like what you're made of, what you can do and, and how much potential you have left. And I think that people... Uh, sell themselves short and you know uh, and they used to especially in the old mindset of like our parents it was like you did this job and you showed up every day and you did that thing for 20 years and then you you get a gold watch at the end of it and say cool like you know (laughs) you know whatever you're on a pension or you were whatever like that first of all that world doesn't exist anymore but also thank god that you can start a podcast you can talk to people about you know things that were interesting. The reach is, is, is so great now with social media, with all the different platforms. I mean, I've developed insane amounts of business and connections through Instagram, which is that didn't even exist, Mm -hmm. you know, 10 years ago. And the fact that I can just make a video and have it out in the world in two seconds and not have to ask for permission or wait for someone to tell me like, Oh, we pick you, you know, like I came from the world of of performing and, and acting and dancing and you know, you'd get into a room and you'd wait for somebody's approval. You'd wait for somebody to give you permission. And I'm like, no, fuck that. I'm taking, I'm taking ownership of this. I'm taking the power back. And I think that's the, the amazing thing is, is there's so much, um, there's so many avenues and so much to do. It's just 
you're the only limiting for uh, limiting factor. Yeah, I think it's it's spot on. I mean, one, I love the I love the word curiosity mm-hmm. that that you use. And again, I feel like it's it's something that needs to be embraced in a more widespread manner. Again, don't stop being curious. Don't stop trying new things. There's so much opportunity available. And I also think you touched on a few things where, you know, the experiences that we have in our life, they don't always go exactly. They certainly, they almost never go the way we, we scripted them or the way we planned them, you know, out there. And because of what you're saying, we're learning things at different stages of our lives and we're getting to different stages of our lives to then apply those experiences to live better you know, in, in the future. And if you're going to live longer, healthier, and quote unquote, better because you're taking care of yourself, that's a lot of runway ahead. you know. And when you hit 40, you're getting there with a lot of learning, you know, a lot of experience, a lot of things on your about good, bad, or indifferent. Oh, okay. Like this is the launching pad, you know, now, like, I, I want not to cut you off, but I, I want, I was just like, as you were saying, I was thinking the exact same thing is, you know, when you're younger, you are, you know, you're excited and you're, you know, have all this, you know, you, you just don't know what, what's going to happen in the world. But as you get to be, you know, I think 40, like really is like, I feel like it's almost in a bizarre way. It, it is the launch pad. It is the start because you finally have this, this knowledge and this base of like, okay, you, you have a good idea of who you are, you know, you know, things you're interested in, even though you want to push that, that curiosity further. But when you're 20, you don't know. I mean, as much as you think, you know, you're just, you're literally just figuring it all out. You're an infant. You're just now in the world and you don't know where your place really is. So yeah, no, I mean, being 40, I think that's it, obviously it's a pivotal turning point for, I feel like most, especially a man, it's like, okay, well, now's the time to really, you know, buckle down. I'm a man. I have responsibilities. I, you know, I, I had kids late. I would have had kids a long time ago, but it's just, you know, the way it works. So it's just, everyone's in kind of a different flow, but I think that, thank God I had all those experiences. Thank God I've had all that heartbreak and setback and, and, and it hasn't stifled my curiosity. And, you know, like, it's funny that, so you said you love that word. I mean, it's one of my favorite words. Like when I started my podcast, I came up with a mission statement and it was be curious, seek truth. And that was just kind of like my mantra for, and I was like, oh, it just kind of became my, you know, it had been the mantra for my life, but I just now codified it and put it on a piece of paper and it's like on a board. And I'm like, okay, that's the the lens through which I'm going to see everything and produce everything for that. And, and I think it's great because the notion of curiosity, I think can be scary, you know, to men. Mm-hmm. Um, What's the unknown, right? Because yeah. I think it also falls on that side of maybe vulnerability or we don't know things that are harder for us to come right out and be like, I don't have a clue. You know, by the way, didn't have a clue in my 20s, didn't have a clue in my 30s, you know, really didn't have great mentors, you know, around, didn't have a father around. So you pick things up and you learn late, whether they're through conversations with other men, you go, oh, like that's that's good information, you know, or, uh, I listened to that guy for two years. That was two years. I'll never get back. You know, like you pick yep. up things and you learn and you evolve. So I think pushing the, the acceptance of being able to continue to say, I'm curious or embrace curiosity. And then another one, like I try to work off of, you know, what I call the six F's and I'll go through them with, you know, there's, there's family and then there's, you know, fitness, you know, and, 
There's finance because gotta have, I gotta have some money to do something. <laughs> and then there's food, nutrition, how you're eating. Then I I like fashion, bring a little style into things in there. And then there's fun. And the one that always comes back, though more than anything, is is fun. The word seems somewhat maybe juvenile, you know, in a way. Or maybe men can't use the word fun as openly and still feel like we're buttoned up. Again, we have our <laughs> our shit together. You know, we go to work, we button up, we go, we make the money, we run the family and everything. But what's your take on, I mean, we'll start, we'll work our way backwards. Like, like, what's your take on fun? Like, you look like a guy who's still having quite a bit of fun. <laughs> yeah, you know what the thing is? I think I love, I love that uh, that idea and that concept. I think that especially as men, we like if you're having fun or you're you're taking something um, joyfully, I feel like that's sometimes looked up as that's not masculine or like we have to be serious. We can't, you know, you can't have fun. And I think we also have forgotten to have fun just learning things. And that's where that, that curiosity kind of plays into it in the way that it's okay to suck. <laughs> it's okay to, because we all expect to be, you know, especially in this social media bullshit world where everything's polished, everything's perfect. Everyone's afraid now to go out and fall on their face. Like, the, I mean, they used to watch me do that. The first time I did that cold plunge, I was like a fucking idiot because <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. But I was like, not well, afraid. There's to- no good way to do it. Okay. There's no, no, there's no, no great I mean, way like, to, to look. You know, <laughs> you- I also didn't give a shit. I was like, no, I want to do this. It's probably going to be really hard. It's probably going to suck. But I, I think that I, that more, more people should just get comfortable being uncomfortable, get comfortable uh, doing something that's out of their um, their wheelhouse. Like I would, go, you know, like for me, like especially coming from, you know, I danced, I wrestled, I ran track. Um, you know, coming from athletics, coming from performing, we can all, we all love to focus on the stuff. It's like when you see people in the gym doing bicep curls, you know, it's like everyone likes to focus on the shit that they're good at and the stuff that they like, but you don't see a lot of people deadlifting. You don't see a lot of people doing stuff that sucks. And that's the stuff that will make you better. And that's the stuff that when you get to a certain level, it all comes out in the wash and those holes in your games and all the things you weren't working on whether it's, you know, not, not just working out, whether it's, you know, for work or, you know, there's a, a gap in your learning. Like, just for me, like I'm just a crazy autodidact where I didn't go to college and it's always kind of been a chip on my shoulder. I mean, I, I say that lightly because I worked, I started working when I was 17. I was scouted by an agent, but I didn't do that whole experience. But I was crazy about being self-read and crazy, you know, crazy about educating myself about anything that I was curious on. I want to know every single detail because I don't want there to be holes in my game. I mean, everyone, everyone has obviously lapses in, in what they know, but for me, like I go, okay, like it's like an onion. Like I know this. Okay. Now like keep peeling it back. Like, where can I go? Where, where does it, where is this going to lead me? And just to be unafraid of that, I, I just would love to just empower more, especially men because we have such fucking egos to, to like, not be afraid to just suck and not be afraid to just go, okay, day one, most people suck at most things because you just don't know what you're doing, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then you start to slowly, then day one becomes day two becomes, you know, day 300. And you're like, okay, cool. Whether it's running, whether it's lifting, whether it's whatever the endeavor, you got to start, you know, I know it sounds cliche, but it's like, you take that small bite in that first step. So and you're gonna that's kind of where I am. Over time, it's, it's, you know, it's inevitable. If you keep doing something, 
you're going to suck less at it. You know, the broken, the broken clock is right twice a day. You know, as they say, like invariably, you're going to pick some things up if you do things consistently and you're going to get better. And, and also shaking that stigma a little bit of that it's a waste of time. You know, that fun is a waste of time. We should be, there are other things that we should be doing that are quote unquote more important, you know? And even sometimes we say it to our kids, like, you know, stop, but we need this. Yeah. I think for for me too, is the stage that my son is at, it's all about fun. It's all about play. So I'm very fortunate that, you know, kind of where I am as a man and where he is uh, becoming a a little man that, you know, he's forced me in a way to really take a step back and, and it's, it's all play, you know, his learning, the way he learns is through play and through experiences and just being in the world and having those tactile things happen to him. And, and for me now to look at him doing that, it's like, oh, okay, we can't ever, you know, it's like, there's a part of us that should never stop just the, the fearless. He has no fear. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. Like there's no, he hasn't had, you know, the world beat him down in a way where he's like, oh, I don't know if I can try that or not. He just, you know, he runs headfirst into life, which is a refreshing way. And I think it's so cool that it, it, it also keeps you young, you know, that youthful exuberance, that vibrance, the energy that you need, you know, to, to be a parent. Yeah. I think it's great. There's, there's really something positive also about, I think, parenting later, you know, again, not starting too soon, but starting at the right things happen for a reason and always at the right time. But I do feel like having children later could really be a good thing in terms of keeping you young, more focused on health, longevity, sustainability, the energy you need, you know, to be able to be able to do it. I think yeah, no, I agree. My I mean, wife, though, to have another child. That's not where we're going. It's not, it's not fucking happening. But <laughs> I think there's something to it. No, but it is funny too, because I mean, you know, as you, as you know, having children, it is a definitive marker on your life. Like you go, you look at them and you go, it's a, it's literally, you're following a timeline. You're like, they're three, they're five, they're 18, whatever you, then you kind of like are faced with your own mortality of like, you, now you're really counting the years where, you know, when you're in your twenties, they kind of fly by and in your thirties, you're really working. You're not really paying attention to age. But then I feel like as soon as you, like now me having kids late, like it's like, okay, this is, I, I can see it sequentially, like how my life is playing out and like I can see the years. And so it's a very um, sobering thing. Absolutely. So you've you've got a really diverse background. You've, you've kind of touched on it a little bit and I want to circle back to it. Dancing, wrestling, you know, classically cha- trained chef, health, wellness. I mean, all, I mean, you are the, the, the six Fs. Go through all of them and we're going to cut. <laughs> no, so I, uh, but how I was lucky. In my- Sorry, go on. You know, my grandmother, uh, she taught me how to cook when I was, I learned how to cook and dance almost at the same time. My grandmother taught me when I was like five years old and I was crazy. I'm still in pretty ADD um, and very energetic. And that was one of the only times uh, to, to calm me down was when she would bring me in the kitchen. Otherwise I'd be running around the house. And I was so focused. I remember she used to have me like cracking eggs for her. And I had to focus so much on that, that it like totally chilled me out. And then I was also kind of dancing around the same time. So it was like that kind of wore me down as well. Um, and I just, from the time I was probably 10 years old and I, I traveled around, I was doing it competitively. Um, I knew at that age and that was, I was wrestling, I was running track. I played football at that time. 
Um, and I remember my dad kind of sat me down and I was like, I was probably 12 by this point. And he was like, okay, well, you want to make a decision? Like, you know, I was really good at athletics and I could have probably not football, you know, in college, but I could have definitely ran track. And I think that's what he was gunning for. And I was like, no, I think I'm going to dance. <laughs> and it was kind of, I don't think it was the answer he was expecting. And, um, I just, I just always knew in my head, I was like, I'm going to move to LA and, and start my life. And everyone thought I was crazy when I did. Um, so I moved when I was, I was scouted when I was 17 by an agent and I moved as soon as I turned 18 and then never looked back. I'm the only person in my family who ever moved away. And it was weird, like kind of talking about, you know, kids, there was this fearlessness where I just, there was never a moment, um, in my brain where I didn't think that I was going to become a professional dancer. And that like the chances of that are so fucking small and so finite, but I just, you know, it's, it's either that foolish optimism or the power of, you know, whatever you want to call it. But that mindset where there was never, an, it was never even a, a thought in my head that it wasn't going to happen. Mm. And, you know, I did that successfully. And then I got married really young. Um, and I was traveling around the, the world at that time. She was a very famous singer. So we were, you know, kind of, traveling around doing the whole Hollywood thing. Uh, we had a very public divorce. So, um, but cooking was something that I'd always done. Like I'd always done it on the road. I would cook for the crew just for fun, just to kind of, you know, you have 60 people on the road and they're away from their family. So for me, like family's always been, you know, at the forefront of my mind. So it was, how do I create that vibe? How do I create family on the road? So I would do barbecues. I would, you know, everyone would be drinking beers and having barbecues after the show. And it was just fun. Um, Never, ever did I think that I would make a career out of it until, you know, we had a really crazy breakup. I was like, I need to get away from LA and all the bullshit. And I moved to New York, I uh, went to culinary school. And, you know, that time I was, I was devastated. Anyone who's gone through like a really big breakup or divorce, you know, I needed, I needed something to focus me. Uh, I was kind of spinning. I was I mean, not kind of spinning. I was, I was spun. I was super anxious. I was having anxiety attacks, um, just could not get my head straight. And so I moved to New York, uh, went to culinary school and I was such a dork. Like I was like a little bit older than everyone else. And I just like went head first and like had all the notes, all the things. I mean, I graduated at the top of my class with a 98%. I wasn't going out. I wasn't doing anything. I was just like this laser, laser focused. Cause I knew like this is what, you know, this is the next stage. And it was that important. I needed to kind of break away from that old life. Um, and then after that, I started working in really high level restaurants. I worked for Nobu for a couple of years. Then I went to a place called Jean Georges, which is like super fancy Michelin star, like plating things with tweezers and all that good stuff. Um, always knowing that I wanted to kind of bring it back around to the performing world. And then after that, I, I you know, I wrote cookbooks. I did a bunch of TV, did a bunch of appearances. And for me, like, I just love, I just love connecting with people. I love learning from people. Um, and I, I'm just a, a sponge and I want to, you know, keep that curiosity going, keep learning. So mm. I was in New York for 10 years um, and then I had Atlas uh, on the scene, which is my son. And then I was like, okay, maybe New York's not the best place to have a kid. And so then moved back here uh, and then been doing a lot of consulting. I worked uh, in hotels so a lot of food or food adjacent or hospitality type things and still doing TV and still doing um, obviously lots of social media. And, and I just love teaching and I love experiencing. So I love that kind of give and take of interacting with people. And that's why I've just 
start making, you know, videos. If there's something interesting to me, I'm like, oh, I'll just make a video on that. Or like I have friends who are like, I don't know how to cut a mango or how do I do this? And I'm just like, it'll take me five seconds. I'll just show you. And then I'm like, well, there's probably a lot of people out there who don't know certain things. So I've just been kind of like become like the how-to guy where I'm just like whip out these videos and it's a lot of fun. So it's, you know, like a lot of different things, but I just think they, they all kind of make sense in my head, in my world, but um, really it's about, you know, connection and kind of, you know, even when I was writing a cookbook, it was, how do I, how do I make it accessible? I feel like there was always all this, especially at that time. And before that, I'm a chef and you're, you know, it's like, we're here and you're there. And for me, I always want to break down that barrier and like, how do I teach? How do I interact with people and, 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 and let somebody know something that I've learned? Because I, for me, it's like, whether it's working out, whether it's uh, cooking, I just have more reps and experience at doing it because I've just done it more mm-hmm. and it's just getting in there and doing it. Yeah. It's, and, and there's, there's so much here as I'm like checking, checking through a few things. First thing, when you moved out to LA, you said you're the first one that, that got up and moved. Mm-hmm. Where'd you move from? Just curious. Like, where, where were you? Oh, I moved from Detroit. Sorry. Yeah, I didn't. I grew up in Detroit. So yeah, growing up in Detroit, um, you know, being a dude in Detroit, uh, not everyone, uh, <laughs> not everyone thought I was going to be a dancer. Like even when I said, I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this. They're like, okay. Like, I mean, obviously growing, thank, I think thankfully, you know, especially teenage boys, you know, growing up, thankfully I was good at football. I was really fast. I, I, you know, I, I was good at wrestling. So that kind of balanced out any hate that anyone could have talked shit. It was like, it was like, there was no, you know, I was doing well in, in all of it. So it was like, okay, that's cool. And then that was also the time back in the day. I don't know if you remember, that's when like Herschel Walkers and the people like that, like everyone started incorporating ballet and dance into football. So that it was like a perfect time for like made it acceptable or cool. Um, and I have to say like, I, I will, the first thing I put Atlas in is either uh, gymnastics or dance because the awareness, the you know, proprioceptive awareness of just your body and space mm is was learned at such a young age that it helped me stay injury free excel at all different sports um and it's like i always told people i was like i was the only dude <laughs> around all these women all the time <laughs> it's like it's actually kind of the greatest to be like and i was like one of the only straight dudes so <laughs> i was like this is like fishing with dynamite <laughs> what are you talking about? clearly wise beyond your years so <laughs> so i actually i went to university of michigan so hopefully Oh, hell yeah, go blue. fan or whether you're a go blue fan or, or, no, or if you don't no. really give a shit at all. But I actually spent quite a bit of time in Michigan, went to school there. Um, go blue. One thing that really keeps kind of coming out over all these, all, all these life experiences and the things that you're talking about, you know, playing ball, running track, wrestling, and then deciding you're going to dance, then going from dance and, and now you want to cook and we're going to go to culinary school and I'm going to stay at the, there's this confidence, you know, that to make these moves, you know, to go. Th- and then you also talked about, you know, the heartbreak and, and the setback um, there. And I want to touch on a little bit, mm, regaining kind of your, your identity, regaining your confidence, kind of the highs and lows of that. Cause you seem like, you know, like you've got that figured out, that fearlessness to try new things, to tell your wrestling coach, I'm going to go dance, you know, or, or your father. And then actually, you know, go, go do it. Or did he get it? And did he get into culinary school with a chip on your shoulder, identity wise, confidence wise, like I better do well here so that I'm not, you know, I'm not 
the guy, you know, who came from this, you know, situation. Like, yeah. cause, and I've worked for some pretty high profile people and, and it fucks with your identity, you know, a little bit. Like when people oh, are mean, talking yeah. to you or, or calling you to get to somebody else, you know, or do yeah. it's, it's weird. And like, even, um, it's cool. You mentioned like John George. So do you know, Phil Suarez also? I do. Okay. Phil's great. So like I yeah. used to work for Phil and Bob Giraldi at their production company. I spent a lot small of time world. in all their restaurants in John George and, and it is a small world. Phil's a sweetheart. Yes. Great. But talk to me a little bit about like confidence and identity, you know, and how it's played a part at various stages of, of your life. Yeah, I think, I mean, so for my teenagers, it was, um, so my, my father was an alcoholic. He died a couple of years ago. Mm. And we always had, he wasn't like an angry drunk or, or one of those, you know, like he was never abusive or he was just one of those guys. I'm just like, come on, man. Like, it's like, I was like praying for him just to get, get it together. So I didn't, you know, and then he was diagnosed with cancer when I was, I think 12 years old, something like that. So from like, and his, his way of kind of dealing with that was to kind of just step back and disappear. I remember he moved kind of away and he was doing treatments and doing these things, ended up, you know, surviving. But there was a, you know, especially as a male growing up, there was that, you know, from 12 to like almost 16 years old, those, you know, formative years of, of how to be a man in this world where my dad wasn't, he wasn't really there. Um, so I was essentially raised, raised by women or figuring it out on, on my own. My grandmother raised me and I was, you know, obviously around women all the time. I have sisters and, a, you know, dancing. So for me, like I didn't, I was, it was all trial and error. Um, and I didn't, I didn't know what was right, what was wrong. I was just kind of, you know, figuring it out. And I think that is why also that I, I got married really young. I was 21. She was 19. She was in, insanely famous. And my identity kind of just folded into hers. And for all of the, the things that I knew in my knowledge, I was like, okay, or where I was going in my world I was thinking to myself, how am I supposed to have a successful relationship if I'm going this way and she's going that way? Like, why don't I take all my creative energy and, and I'll put it into her? And we had a very successful working relationship. But in the process, I had completely lost my identity, my goals, the things that I wanted, um, my independence. And like you said, there's you know someone calling you to look for somebody else or, you know, I was never like going to get, and that's a, you know, she cast, that casts, a very long shadow and to get out of that, um, you know, was insurmountable, but I felt like at the time it's like, you know, we're working together, it's fine. But then of course, animosities start to build up over the years. And, you know, when one person's not having their needs met and the other person's not acknowledging the work that you're putting into a relationship per se, there's, there's those kind of little chinks in the armor and it starts to build up and build up. And obviously, you know, we ended up divorcing and it was, it was great though, because I didn't know who I was in that. Now this is, I'm almost 30 and I'm like, I felt like I was, you know, in my twenties and figure, and now I have to figure out like my whole life again and, and restarting. And that's why I think just moving to New York was, was so paramount for me. Um, but yeah, I just, um, I think that there are times when you do lose your identity and, and, you know, even even now it's like, I feel like, like going back to what we were saying earlier, like I just now feel like in the last couple of years, I, I, I value my alone time, which I didn't know how to be alone. I didn't know how to be independent because I was so used to being in, in relationships all the time. And so now like, inter, you know, in a new relationship, 
And I'm like, no, actually, I'm. You can do your thing. I'm going to do my thing. And like, I, I have that autonomy, and I, and I'm and I'm not apologetic for that autonomy either. And I think people always apologize for wanting to do something on their own or 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 take a step back from a relationship. And you know, you're when you're in a relationship with someone, and you're around them all the time. You, you need that separation, and we and we rely too much on that other person for so many things. And that was never the way that relationships or marriage or anything was structured in the past. It was very like contractual, right? It was like, mm-hmm. you're a man, you're a woman, you have kids, you know, you know, you weren't looking to that person in the fifties to, you know, open your heart up and tell them all the things. And, you know, they're just, it's just too much for somebody, for anybody, whether you're the man or the woman. So, you know, having a positive group of, of men around you and having, or women or whomever you are is such an important part about understanding who you are. I think there's so many, you know, again, just great, not only great words, but great concepts that, that you're talking about, whether it's, you know, being unapologetic, you know, or being alone, which doesn't mean that you're lonely, you know, either. Or right. building in empty space to allow you to do what you want to do, you know, in your day, your significant other to do what they want to do. And, and these are concepts that at least even for me have kind of come to the forefront again, much, much later, you know, uh, from periods mm-hmm. of time where there was way too much code, you know, codependency, you know, there oh, like yeah. every minute of the day, like had to be full. And if it wasn't yep. full, then it would remind you of all the things that you weren't doing right. You know, there was just perpetual motion or busyness versus productivity you know, there, or if I wasn't around people, well, that means you're not popular, you know, or you don't have anything to do, you know, or, uh, you can't do it as opposed to, you know, wow, like these are great times to be able to sit back and read something or do something, or if there's something that you want to do, you don't need to ask for permission to go go (laughs) do it or do it on your own and maybe meet somebody new. Because maybe the group of parents at the school, it's not the group for you, you know, like, and yeah. that's totally fine. Okay, say hi, say goodbye, go climb the mountain, like if that's what you want to do. And by the way, you'll meet somebody on the mountain that enjoys climbing the mountain instead of trying to pull people along to do shit that they don't want to do, you know, or so true. or worse, you go do what they want you to do, and you're twice as miserable you know? <laughs> about the whole thing. So I love these these the concepts. And the words that that you're using as they come back, I'm like, okay, that's something I like to touch on. That's something a word that I would use. That's a philosophy that I would have, you know, for this. And I think more men need to get comfortable, as you said, getting uncomfortable, not only using this the verbiage, but actually applying it you know, into yeah. life, asking for the time or taking the time, you know, making the space, saying, no, 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 I got this. Like I'm totally cool, you know, by, by myself, you know, in, in there. Um, I want to cover a few of the other, a few of the other things. Um, you've been super creative. You've been super curious. You've done a number of different, different things that are out there. Uh, what's your relationship with, with money in all of this? And that we talked, we touched on the ability to do anything almost at, at, at any time. Um, but you've got a son, you know, now your working is fun and it's, it's putting a smile on your face and you're being creative, but what's the relationship with money kind of thinking about career working harder, longer by choice. Just now I'm curious, you know, how anybody does anything you know, right now. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, it, it takes money to be able to have the the freedom to do the things that you want to do. Um, I think that I just I was happy that I'm happy that I experienced so much crazy abundance in my 20s that you know I feel like a lot of people, especially when you're younger, you you feel like you know money is every like you're, that's your only focus is money and. Uh, you know, you think you need that watch, you think you need that car, you think you need that. Like there was, I, I literally had all of that shit. And now it, it reminded, it made me understand now in my forties, I don't give a shit about another, I don't need another suit. I don't need another, you know, like I love, you know, clothes. I love, you know, things, especially for dudes. We have like watches, we have, you know, suits and shoes, I guess. I don't know, something like that. But like, the, I don't need any of the frivolity, frivolity and any of the kind of the bullshit. And I think that when you haven't had that um, and you haven't experienced it, you still think that that's the thing. That's, that's the end goal. That's where you're trying to head. And for me now it's about, you know, I would, you know, this, this, any relationship, the relationship I'm in right now, like I would rather, instead of giving a gift, I'd rather do an experience. I'd rather, instead of just wasting money on something, I'd rather enrich my life and do something that's really cool. Um, you know, I saved a ton of money, so it allowed me a little bit of flexibility to kind of do what I wanted, yep. but it's still not my end goal because at the end of the day, I, I, how many rich people do you see that are absolutely miserable? And, you know, th- for me, it's about social connections. It's about my, my thought about money now is like, okay, well, how am I going to set up Atlas for, you know, generational wealth? It, I have to, you know, I'm not fearful about, you know, where my next meal is going to come from, or if I have a roof over my head, which is an incredibly privileged and fortunate place to be. So having that covered, all of the extras is that's what they are. They're just extras and not the things that I'm gunning for. I'm, I'm thinking about how do I make the most money so that I can give my son and my family the best life. It's not about, it's not that, you know, having that thing anymore. It's Mm -hmm. about how much more can I build for him? Yep. And I ask it more from the standpoint that there's always a lot of focus on, on the why, like why you do things, like find your why, do this, don't do that, or, uh, which is great. You should absolutely know why you're doing things. But what I get asked a lot also is, okay, that's great. Now I know what my why is, but I don't know how. Okay. Or I don't know how, okay, that person is doing that. Or that looks different from the reality that if I was going to go do that, mm -hmm, I would have to figure out a way to pay for this, 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 or this. So what steps did that person take? Or where did they start? You know, the realities on the how I don't get talked about as often. And I like to peel that back, be like, look, I'm an open book with everything. Here's where I fucked up. Here's where I failed. Like, you know, here's where I made a few dollars. Here's where I lost it. I grew up with everything. I could tell you that it doesn't make, it doesn't equate to happiness, you know, experiences over things. Again, a lot of the subject that you talk about, okay, that's where it's important. That's where it's important. Definitely in my, in my teenage years, I didn't have, you know, I grew up a very, very middle middle class family where I, I didn't, you know, ever have to worry about, you know, the basics, but there wasn't money to send me to college. There wasn't money to, the onus was always on me. So my relationship to money was like, I've better fucking make it or else, or else I'm going to be screwed. So I moved, I mean, I moved out to LA with $500 in my pocket mm. and I was sleeping on couches and I, you know, I got a real job working retail, you know, selling clothes at Club Monaco. And then 
you know, and then I slowly started booking. And then, you know, by the end of my first year doing commercials and, you know, film and television and all that, I was like, ended up making like $250,000, which is un- like that amount of money in my family where I grew up was just unheard of. And so then, of course, in my brain, I'm like, yeah, this is what you do every year. <laughs> of course, it's going to continue to go like this. Um, you know, but then I got married and then life shifted that way. But there's been times where, you know, not that I've ever, you know, struggled and worried how I'm going to pay rent. Thank God I never had to deal with that, which everybody does. Um, but, you know, it's it's more about, for me, I took jobs. I was fortunate enough to take jobs. And I think... Um, more people should do this as well, whether you have the money or don't have the money. I took jobs that didn't pay me what I thought I needed to make at that, you know, quote unquote point in my life. I was taking, I mean, when I was working at Jean Georges, I was 29 years old and I was making $11 an hour. (laughs) But I took that job knowing for me in my head, I was like, oh, this is like my master's program. This is like me investing in myself, knowing that it's going to be uh, setting me up for the future. So I would, in at that time too, if I didn't have savings from, you know, previous jobs and things like that, I would have worked multiple jobs. I had friends who had, you know, three roommates yep. and it's just really having the, the fortitude and the, the mental fortitude to say it, you know, everyone wants to just do one job and just feel like that's going to be the thing that, that gives them the wealth or gives them the the knowledge. And it's like, you have to, like, I'm a, I'm a hustler. Like I won't, I, I'll work multiple jobs. I'll do random things. Like I'm not too proud to make a dollar. Like, so for anyone saying like looking at anyone who's too proud to do anything, and I'm like, fuck that. Like I will, I will do whatever it takes to survive and to make money at the end of the day. So I, um, I'm that, that fearlessness is always just, it's, it's not, I guess it's not even fearlessness. It's more of like fear of failure. Like, and I don't, there was never a fallback plan for me. There was never like, it was either I did it or it didn't happen. I think you know, when you compare that into the opposite, like, and I, I, and when, when I listen to you speak, I automatically think about my boys and I go, okay, what message am I sending to my boys when it pertains to work ethic? You know, when it pertains to, okay, if you want to go to college again, here's how it happened. And I came up in the exact opposite, which was I had absolutely like, everything was just kind of there. You know, it was just, just kind of there. And then my father wasn't the, he had, my father had cancer too and passed away when I was 17. So he didn't, he didn't beat it. Uh, But from a financial standpoint for us, everything was always around except for him. And that's a really scary and dangerous way to kind of come up when you don't really Mm -hmm. understand how it gets there, what you need to do, you know, to actually earn it yourself, you know, or develop that (laughs) kind of work ethic or have somebody pushing you towards, you know, towards making it happen. Um, you become fearless in a different way, you know, or bulletproof in a different way. And then when it goes away, then you're like, oh, fuck. Like, I better learn and I better learn fast, okay? Yeah. On, on this. Um, so I think, you know, both sides have have obviously value, you know, to them. And we get back into the how, like how people get where they're going, at what stage. You know, what you picked up in your teens and your 20s, like – I don't think I picked up until I was in my thirties overall. Yeah. Well, it's funny that you say that like having all that abundance and then it going away. I mean, that was, that was kind of me going to New York, even though I did save money and it allowed me a little bit of a cushion. You know, I went from touring the world, flying on private planes and, you know, having giant houses to living in an apartment in New York. And like, thankfully I could afford that apartment with my own money and I paid for, you know, culinary school. But 
there was a, a very big shift in my life and it was like, okay, well that world doesn't exist anymore. And that's not the world that I want anymore. It's like, this is the new world. And this is the new, like, okay, I have to, I have to budget. I wasn't just going somewhere and, you know, like my whole twenties, it was not that I was ever felt, I was always waiting for the other shoe to drop because it's just a very Midwestern upbringing, but like, it wasn't normal for me to go to a, a store and spend thousands of dollars on clothing. I would watch, you know, my ex was a professional shopper and I just, I always felt weird about it, but it just becomes normal and it's not normal. And then when it goes away, you're like, okay, well I need to like figure out how to budget and <laughs> what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And I was making no money at that time and in school. So it gets real, real quick. It does. That was my move from New York to Texas. When I was like, okay, done with New York, going to Houston where my wife, my girlfriend at the time, now, you know, now wife, it's like, when I moved to Houston, it's like, okay, I can be anonymous here. I can start fresh. There's no preconceived notions. You know, there's, there's almost no ego, you know, anymore. Like I know anybody other than her, you know, down here. And at that stage of my life, like that was exactly what I, what I needed because the pressure of being in New York or being anywhere where I grew up just, it just didn't have great memories. The pressure didn't feel good. And it was just not what I wanted to be be a part of. So I think that exists for people too, again, like the opportunities, you don't need to be in the same place. You can change things up if you want to, you know, people, places, experiences, things, and start to paint your own picture of what quality of life actually really looks like. And everybody's definition of success and is, is, is different. Everybody's got a number. You know, I ask that question to people all the time. Be like, hey, like, what's the number? Like, if I threw it out to you right now, like, what's the number that lets you just enjoy, you think you could just enjoy? You know, spend more time with your kids, have more experiences. You know, what are you missing right now? Or are you not missing anything? I don't know. Maybe you're banking way too much, you know? <laughs> because as my grandma said, like, coffins don't have pockets. You know, like, you're banking yeah. a shit ton, but you're not having any fun, dude. <laughs> like, there's that too. It's true. No, I think you're right. Like going back to the fun thing is, you know, seeing money pile up in the bank account is not, that doesn't do it for me. Like I, like you said, I'd rather do rich experiences and, and share that, share that wealth with my friends. Yeah. The dying at your desk thing doesn't sound so exciting. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's the thing, especially with the last, what the last year brought is that I think it was a wake up call for everybody. It's like, we don't need to be in offices. We don't need to be, you know, doing the shit that we don't want to do. And, and all the people who were doing kind of side hustles, what became their main hustle, um, really were like, oh, I don't need to show up to this shitty place and deal with these assholes when there's a, a way to connect with people. I can turn my camera on and, and coach people or teach people or interact and, and learn or, or get better at something else. It was hopefully uh, it raised just awareness of people's capability again. Yep. So you, you mentioned it before. You're like the how-to guy, you know, on a lot of things, you know, now you make great videos. Yeah. Um, talk a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about this. Um, now we're going to go into kind of the food, the food of things as I work through. Yeah. What's your philosophy on, on food and eating? Mm-hmm. Like the day, the way people should approach food or the way you approach food. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So as far as food and eating, I think, um, just from a, a chef perspective, I'm always like, try everything, get into everything. From a nutrition perspective, I think people focus so much on this diet, that diet, you know, and they they vilify this food or this food's the best. You know, it's just, at the end of the day, for me, it's 
I don't get hung up on, you know, this food's bad, this food's good. You know, it's, it's all about timing, right? This food is optimal for whatever I'm doing in this activity, or this is suboptimal or whatever. And, and it's, it doesn't mean that a, a plate of pasta is bad. It just might not be great to eat a, a giant bowl of pasta and then sit at your desk all day. Or like kind of just lining up the food with the activity, but not saying that this is bad or this is good. Um, and just kind of removing that, you know, obviously if, if people have predispositions to something or you, you know, you have something that you definitely need to cut in or out of your diet, take in or out of your diet. That's another thing. But I just, I don't like this, you know, oh, this diet's great or this, you know, I'm keto or I'm paleo. It's like, just fucking eat nutrient, nutrient dense food, you know, the, from the highest quality source you can. If you want to eat meat, make sure it's responsible meat. If you want to eat, you know, just, it's just, I don't like this, like, this is bad, this is good. People don't think about, the, the, you know, how that kind of trickles down into other things, even beyond just your plate where there's, you know, everyone's like, oh, I'm going to stop eating meat. We should stop eating meat. Well, there's a whole industry around that. And there's a whole, there's a bunch of people who, whose lives depend on that. And if you can do it in a responsible way, I'm not a fan of factory farming, but, you know, we've been eating meat and we've been eating vegetables and we've been doing things for thousands of years. So it's just trying to find the most, uh, logical way that's the best for the planet and the best for what you put in your body. So my relationship to food is kind of, I will fucking eat everything. I will eat anything. And if someone has me over to their house and, and they want to make me something like I'll happily eat it. And I don't give feedback unless someone asks me. That's the other thing. Everyone's like, Oh my God, I could never have you over for dinner because I wouldn't want you to, to judge me. And, and I'm like, what an, how much of an asshole would I be if you have me over for dinner and I'm like, well, actually you could have like seasoned this a little. No, it's like, I'm going to enjoy it. If you ask me for feedback, I'll give it. But the fact that you went through the trouble to make me a meal, it, I mean, that's, I'm nothing but gracious. Mm. It's a great, great approach on things. I, I could not agree more about the overemphasis on just following fad or trend or people just jumping into you know, diets or yes and knowing things without any real rationale behind it, you know, at all. And not knowing how their bodies do or do not respond to certain things. Never actually starting with fundamentals or education. Well, that's the thing. I think there's probably- anything. They're just like, well, oh, look, so-and-so with 1 million followers says to go jump exactly. on, you know, this thing right now. So let me go order $300 worth of that product or, or products. And now I'm going to go be keto for like three months. Well, that's the thing. I think there's probably a huge swath of the population who are vegan that would benefit from eating meat and probably a bunch of people who are super hardcore meat eaters that should probably eat a lot more vegetables. But everyone just sees or they have this idea, oh, this is going to work best for me or this is going to, without really doing that much research or doing the blood work or doing actually like figuring out on a cellular level, like how does this interact with my body? Like people don't, a lot of people don't realize that kale can be super toxic for you, but everyone, you know, wants to build it up. To, and not that it's saying that it's great for some people or whatever. Right. It's just, you have to figure out how anything is going to interact with your body. And, and people just don't, I think people have such a disconnection and are so divorced from one food, where it comes from and how we get it. You see this piece of you know meat in a package and you don't think about where, you know, the ramifications of where that came from or two, how it's going to interact with your body because, Oh, I grew up, you know, I grew up in the South and I ate meat and fried food all my life. And that's just all, you know, and until you kind of someone helps kind of open that valve and shows you other things, you just don't, you know, necessarily know. Absolutely. Similarly, mm -hmm. you're a stylish guy. 
Right? We touched on like what guys can like, oh yeah, we've got watches, we've got stuff. Okay. What's your what's your philosophy on on style or and and fashion? Do you have a uniform? Okay. Do you have like enormous closet? Like like what's what's your take on what guys should be looking like or doing or not doing? For me, most of my life I'm a t shirt and jeans guy. It's very like simple, like but like nice t shirts, stuff that fits really well. But I love I love putting on a suit. Um, when I was working in hotels, like I wore a suit every day, and and I loved that. And I'm very much like old school. Like I can't do the the skinny jeans and the, the street style. Like I, I look like a fucking idiot. I just look <laughs> just I look much better, and I feel much more. And I feel like an idiot too. Like if there's like you know skinny jeans and like a baggy a hoodie. Like first of all, I'm 40. Like I'm too old for that shit. But I was always I felt like I always dressed like an old man. Like even when I was in high school. I was like super preppy and like always wanted to be put together. Um, and I was obsessed. Like for me, since a, a young age, I was obsessed with being a gentleman. Like I would read like GQ, like back in the day. And like, it's like, oh, these, this is like what a man is supposed to do. So I, I feel like I've been like a 50 year old man for like my whole life. And I just, I mean, I, I'm, I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable doing anything in a suit. And I feel like, especially for men, it's like, it's kind of like armor. Like when I put my chef's jacket on. Like I feel like I'm ready. Like I can do, there's nothing you can't do when you put a nice suit on and it looks great. So it's, it's interesting you say it. like whatever provides confidence, you know, whatever makes you feel good and, and like you, like that, that's what I'm all for. And you got to figure it out, give it some thought, you know, like I do think it matters, you know, from a, from a confidence standpoint, I don't totally buy into the clothes make the man, but I think you got to have an identity. You've got to have some semblance of style and it's got to provide confidence. The suit is the exact, and for me, like the suits, like the exact opposite, most of the, or like, or or the office suit. Like like if I have to go to the, to the office, I've struggled and I have to put the suit on and it makes me feel like corporate or now I have to speak that. Like for me, that's always been the hardest thing. Like is being part of my the business that I'm in now and partners who I'm pretty sure sleep in a suit. Like I'm like <laughs> they must. It's like navy blue suit, like red tie, like all day, every day. But if like my clients saw me approaching them in a suit, they'd be like, What the fuck is Whoa. going on? <laughs> Overall. Yeah. So the suit's kind of like the opposite for me. Whereas like the t-shirt and jeans or like the beanie and the sunglasses or whatever, like that's like the armor. For me, like I got this here, like I can move freely, <laughs> and that's but that's the thing. That's your power, right? So that 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 should be what if you you know depending. It's all situational, right? It's kind of like the food thing where it's like, is this optimal or suboptimal for me? Like, if I'm gonna you know go into a, a gym workout event, I'm like showing up in a suit, you're gonna look like a dick. <laughs> like, and and if you wore a, a hoodie, I mean, if you wore a beanie and a t-shirt to a board meeting, you're also going to look like a dick unless you're a billionaire. So, <laughs> Still a dick, but a billionaire. Okay. Yeah. But it, it's like, like Mark Zuckerberg used to, like, I think he showed up to one of their the first big Facebook meetings in a hoodie and like, you know, sleep sweats. But like, you know, we are a wonder kid billionaire. Like you can kind of get away with that. And it's a big fuck you to the establishment, but now he's like all buttoned down again. So I think it's just like, like you said, it's, it's finding out, you know, reading the situation, but also knowing what you're going to feel most confident in. You know, I'm never going to wear, I don't wear a suit when I'm doing a cooking video in, in the kitchen. I also don't usually wear my chef's jacket either because I feel like that's also, it, it, it it's a delineation between me and you. And what I want to do is build familiarity, right? So if I know 
that I'm going to be meeting with someone who's a t-shirt and jeans guy and I like wearing t-shirt and jeans, I'm going to wear that. I'm not going to try, I'm not going to try to overpower um, that person I'm with. I, I always want to make that person feel welcome and feel comfortable. Yep. Definitely so get when I'm sales sipping, and be relate and also be relatable. And I'm looking, exactly. And, and that's the thing. Like if you can't be relatable, you're not going to be able to sell anything to anybody. If, if you're just coming in and you're trying to push something on somebody you don't find that kind of common ground. And that's kind of like for me too, I was, I'm, I'm, I'm like the king of useless information. I call it useless, but it always ends up, it always ends up coming to be useful, but I could go to a room of complete strangers and find some weird fucking nuanced thing that no one else would be talking about because I just, I'm like, my brain is always open to all these, some weird. Yeah. We may need to go toe to toe on that useless information thing. I'm, I'm pretty sure, you know, that's, that's occupied a lot of space for me. Okay. That I have just a ton of, my wife always jokes, she's like, you have no so much shit that can't help us at all. You know? <laughs> 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 like, but it, when it, it comes in handy though, and you're like, see, there will be see? one night we will be somewhere. There will be a game that will be played. There will be an answer that is needed and I will have it, you know? <laughs> like, oh, trivial pursuit. That's my shit right there. Like I'm all about, yeah, anything trivia wise. And then I'm like that highbrow level, like all the way down to like Mark McGrath's celebrity jeopardy bullshit. Like I'm going to hang. Okay. Somewhere in that wide space, it'll be worth nothing, but <laughs> we'll be there. I uh, yeah I'm, I'm so but but that's the thing like you're but I've uh, kind of hearkening back to what we were talking about the curiosity thing even if you don't know every single detail just to know some random fact about something it's a it's you know it's it's fun and I think people appreciate it but now you can't bullshit anymore well most people can't bullshit anymore because before you could get away with it and now it's like people will be like google shit and be like no they're actually <laughs> wrong <laughs> so they'll, call you, they'll call you on it so what are you reading right now Oh God, what did I just finish that I love? Um, I just finished, of course, I'm gonna look up my Audible right now because I um, I, forget, I don't want to mess the title up. It was, oh, Perennial Seller. Uh, have you read that book? I have not. Okay, so it's a kind of marketing book by a guy who, um, he, had, he used to work for the guy named Robert Green who wrote Mastery. I don't know if you've ever read that series of books. Okay, yep, I've heard of that. Um, he was like the research assistant, but it's, it's, a, it's a sales book without feeling like salesy and just talking about different ways to market a product or different approaches. Uh, and it's just one of those books that uh, lately that's just been kind of um, just blown, blown me away. And then I'm reading, funny enough, I'm reading with my girlfriend. She and I are reading a book called Finding and Keeping Love, <laughs> which is a, we're doing it together. Um, and it's like a kind of therapeutic, takes you through stages of relationships and, you know, what to expect at different places. And it's, it's really cool doing work on the front end, which I don't think a lot of people who get into relationships, especially when you're, you know, doughy eyed and everything's perfect and, you know, everything's great. And then, you know, you evolve into reality. And I think it's before you, you know, people don't ever plant the seeds for where they want to go uh, before they get to that thing. And then they realize like, oh, then they start having that power struggle. Well, I needed to have my independence or I need to do that because you didn't establish that um, right out of the gate. Like, okay, well, these are my needs and you have to be this independent force. And then, okay, what are your needs? And you're that independent force. And then cool. You, you want to go do that? Like, me, I've learned so much, not just from that book, but kind of in this relationship, especially is to really kind of shelving that ego that we all have, especially as men 
and realizing it. And, and when and it's not like it doesn't, it doesn't just go away, but also realizing and being able to say, you know, what, hun, that's my ego. And I, I'm so sorry that I let that kind of get in the way. And it's the first few times it's really, it's scary and hard to acknowledge that, but it goes such a long way for letting the other person know, like, this is my bullshit or this is my shadow shit from previous relationships. And I don't want to bring that in here. And this is sacred to me. So I want to acknowledge it and then kind of move past it. So it's so smart. It's kind of been, yeah. It's, it's so smart. And it's, and it's so mature. I don't think it's possible, you know, when, when you're so young because you don't have the experience, you don't have the foresight, you don't have the successes or the failures, and you don't know who you're going to be, you know, 20 plus yeah. years from now. I would, I would, it's probably a great thing to go back and read, you know, or even to do with your significant other. Even now, if you haven't been married, you know, 20 years, like we, we hit different transition points, you know, too. The woman I married is absolutely not the same person, you know, that I was, that I was dating. No way. It's right. impossible. 20 plus years. And thank God. Thank God. Yes. And I yeah. def- definitely am not. But we're going to get to another crossroads, you know, a tipping point pretty soon. Like in four years, our boys will they'll all be gone. Mm-hmm. So probably a good time. I don't want to shelve that book for four years, probably get into it sooner. But you reach these other milestones or reestablishment zones and you have to still figure out, okay, how do we evolve and continue to grow together? Because we're different people. And I, I think coming into relationships in your forties, you've got to just be, you got to be able to own it much better. You know, I just, I don't, I don't yeah. think you would have that on your radar, you know, maybe in your twenties. Like I certainly wouldn't. Yeah. And you have to realize like, you know, like you said, like there, there are phases to it. There are phases to the, to that game where when you are in, you know, infatuation, young love, when you're in your twenties, you think that that's, that's what it's supposed to be all the time. And like, if, and when you're not in that infatuation stage, then something's wrong and, and you're, you don't know kind of how to, how to not just be crazy in love with somebody. And like, that's what, isn't that how it's supposed to always feel? And it's like, no, like it, it, it evolves into so much, so many different things, mutual respect. You have children together, you have family. Like my goal, you know, my goal isn't to just be like, you know, as much as I'm head over heels for my partner, like. I'm not, I'm not just like obsessed with her in a way that you are when you're youthful. It's like, okay, what are we building together? How can we continue to be allies for each other? No stage is supposed to be permanent. And how are we, you know, what I've not done well in my last relationship is how do we grow together? How do we not go this way? How do we still maintain that independence and, and be able to, to have that, but then also come together, put ourselves first with that relationship and then give, you know, to everything else. And I think that's like a lot of people get really weird about when you have children and they're like, Oh, the children are first, the children are first. And you know, I'll probably be going against what a lot of people say. And it's like, if you don't have your shit locked down, whatever, all that, and you're going to put too much energy into your children and that becomes your life. And then you forget, you know, what, what you were before you had the kids. And so I need to have that strong partnership and relationship with, with, my significant other, and then I'll be able to give to, you know, everyone down the line. Totally. Right back to that identity, you know, situation that we talked about, a little different, but it's still about identity. And, and to that point, it's that, it's that oxygen mask approach. You know, they drop down from the ceiling. It's like, you put yours on first and then you figure, you know, you take care of everybody else. And I think for a while we, we get that shit backwards. You know, you live vicariously through others. You put, 
the wife, you put the kids, you put everybody else first. That can create a lot of resentment, cause a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. And and like what you said, you have to also within that microcosm of it, like saying put the relationship first and then the kids. You have to put yourself first in essence in a way and say, okay, I have my shit dialed in or maybe this feels off and then have that strong to be able to give to that other person or else it's, it all, it's, you know, it's a house of cards. Yep, it's still respectful, not purely ego driven, but it's got to go in the right order or you can't be good, you know, for, for anybody. You talked about experiences over things and covered that. What experiences are on your radar and what's on, what's on the list of things that you've yet to do that you're like, okay. I, I, that that's on the list. I would love to live, uh, live in another country with my family for a little while. I love traveling the world. And now that the world is finally opening back up again, uh, I think just living in a different culture. Um, it's something that I wish that I had learned or had been shown earlier in my life. Cause I've, I learned more, you know, as much as I said, you know, I have that chip on my shoulder for not going to college being able to travel the world, being able to experience different people, different cultures, especially as Americans where, you know, we think we rule the fucking world and we know everything and you just, you do have that ego about you. And, and I I just, I, I never learned more than when I was traveling and experiencing and seeing things. Like I, I was in Thailand a couple of years ago and, you know, I ventured off into the, into the jungle. And I remember, you know, I was like kind of just riding my bike and I went to go buy a coconut or something like that. And I I'd give the woman money and I didn't know what the, you know, what, and she had a, she didn't have enough money to give me change. So I guess I'd given her a bill that was too large. So she takes my money, hops on a scooter and like shoots to the next town. I'm like, well, I assume she's coming back. <laughs> and I remember as I was waiting for, her, I saw these women and they were around this giant cauldron of this, I don't know what they were cooking. And there's a restaurant that looked like it was just about to open, but like very locals in that like hut. And they kind of like motioned me over and I remember them like saying like, you know, gesturing like, do you want to try this? And I was just like, in my brain, I was like, absolutely. <laughs> but I know a lot of people in that, in that kind of position would be like, Oh, I'm going to get sick or I don't know. And in my, in my brain, I was like, first off, they have their own restaurant. They're eating the food. <laughs> um, most likely they're not poisoning everybody all the time. So they probably have their shit dialed in. It's, you know, three women around a cauldron in the middle of Thailand. It could be weird, but who knows? Like, but I wasn't going to not have that experience. I was like, whatever's going to happen on the other end of this is still going to be worth it because that, like that sense memory, and I remember sipping whatever that was and it was spicy and it was sour and it was seafood. And there's all these things that like it, it unlocked my brain in a way that, that just sitting in my house or just trying something at a restaurant in normal place wouldn't have gotten me. So for me, like that experience of those life experiences, those travel experiences, those interactions, like I want my son to have that as early as he possibly can. And I think it'll just, it'll make him understand that the world is so much larger and there's so much out there in a good way to where, you know, you get in your own head and you, 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 you get in these cyclical ways of thinking and you don't realize that you can, especially now you can be anywhere you want in the world at any time. Uh, and that's exciting. And, and do so much, you know, from, from anywhere that, that we've learned. Absolutely. What are you working on right now that you're real excited about? You've always got your, your, a lot of irons in the fire, you know, and yeah. a lot of things, but what are you pumped about right now? Uh, there's two different startups that I have been working with. One, uh, there's this company 
out of San Diego. It's a um, it's a veterinarian oncology uh, blood screen, but the the company is called Pet DX, uh, and I was I'm an angel investor for that company. And my friend is actually the chief medical officer, and it's this pretty incredible technology where they can do just a simple blood draw, um, and now they've partnered up with Petco, so they're going to have a, a huge launch with that. They actually just launched last week. And it'll give people the opportunity to be able to, to screen and f- understand about their pets and catch, you know, cancer early. And someone who had seven dogs, I absolutely, you know, dogs will always have a very strong place in my heart and, you know, dogs and cats and, you know, other things as well. Um, and it's just, uh, it's, it's a really exciting company and, and being able to, to kind of help our friends who help us so much uh, and catch things at an early stage is, is something that I was like, take my money, let's go, hopefully you know, hopefully they can get it to where it is. And it's a really good investment, but also it's just, it's one of those things that makes me feel pretty incredible. Mm, great. And then the other thing is our, uh, our mutual friend Seamus is uh, starting an olive oil line. So um, I'm, I'm getting involved with him as well on that. And hopefully we're going to be working together doing something fun, uh, you know, kind of as, as it all kind of interconnects. Yeah. I'm super excited uh, for him and what he, and what he's working on. For sure. Such a, such a good guy. Great idea. He, he really is. He is like, he's almost just too, I mean, he's like, he's from Vermont. So it's like, he's just like so nice. And it reminds me of like, I grew up in the Midwest. So it's like he, that affability and his work ethic. Um, he's just such a great guy. And, and he and I just randomly, I was telling him about something else and he was like, you know, telling me about, you know, kind of giving me the elevator pitch. And I was like, I'm in, let's go. <laughs> he's like, really? And I was like, yeah. And so then we, you know, We've been hanging out a lot more. We knew each other from New York. We were actually on, on the board of uh, this organization called Wellness in the Schools. And we would uh, basically go in and you teach kids who are you know from different backgrounds how to have a healthy relationship with food. Um, and they have a big gala and they raise a bunch of money. So we'd always kind of been in each other's worlds and like we knew each other from New York. I bought a bike from him. <laughs> Um, and then we kind of like reconnected again out here and he's just such a great guy and a, a really, really one of those people that you just want good things to happen to. Absolutely. Have you seen the whole story, like the PowerPoint, the presentation, like when he goes up and speaks like in front of groups? No. You should have him show you that because he came down to San Antonio to speak to the produce or produce association of, of America. I guess, I guess that's a thing or something. I'm butchering the name, but I met him in San Antonio. And when you know somebody, you've hung with them a little bit, and then you see him on stage, and they're doing the entire life story, you know, what they do, and they've got it down, and the imagery is behind, and just the transformation of, of, you know, his whole journey. Make him show it to you. It was really, really good. Uh, Yeah, I will. I mean, yeah, that's the thing, too. Like, he he did not have a, a positive relationship with food. Uh, and didn't understand his body and how food reacted with his body. And, and he's had this incredible, incredible transformation. One thing that shocked me, um, I remember that one of the first times I ever heard him speak beautiful, perfect Spanish. And if you've ever heard him, his, his, I mean, him flex his Spanish skills. I'm like, why aren't you doing this in your videos and online? And like, it, it helps with us because you know, we're talking to producers in, in Argentina and things like that. And he's obviously lived in Spain, was a very, very uh, successful Spanish chef. But I'm like, dude, you need to flex this muscle more. <laughs> totally. Well, this, that stuff is, is terrific and all exciting. And again, it's you know, doing good work with good people. 
you know, for the right reasons is what, what all this stuff is, is all about. Dean, where do people find you also? So it's pretty much uh, my name everywhere. So on Twitter, it's Dean Shermay, uh, Instagram, Dean Shermay, uh, literally everything. It's, it's either at Dean Shermay or Dean Shermay, uh, S-H-E-R-E-M-E-T. Bingo, which makes it simple. Guys, check him out, follow him, watch the videos, okay? See what he's doing. One day he's playing guitar, one day he's fitting in a suit, he's cooking a bunch of stuff, okay? <laughs> it's... It's really fun. It's really entertaining. And you're going to pick up some tips and you're going to take them with you and you're going to learn a bunch of stuff. Dean, thank you so much for coming on, man. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks for uh, taking the time and having me on. I really appreciate it. I will. Uh, one day we will have to meet out there. We will have to go through the workout. We'll have to go through the, uh, the contrast therapy and get on, get on those bikes and, uh, and talk olive oil too. So. I'm, I'm down. And, and you know, I, I'm, I have no problem taking it. You know, it's funny. Like, I love Houston. I think it, it doesn't get the love that it deserves. And it's a phenomenal city. So I, I look forward to visiting I agree there with as you well. There. It, it does not get the love that it deserves. Come down. Be my guest anytime. We will eat our way through this city. I do think down. it is one of the greatest eating cities around by, by far. So I'm going to try anything and everything. Come on down and be my guest. Hell yeah. All right, guys. Dean Shermay, Midlife Mail Podcast. If you like what you hear, please give us that five-star rating. Leave us a nice review. Go follow Dean as we talked about. I am here every week. You can find me also at gregshineman.com. Subscribe to the newsletter. Dropped in your box every Sunday. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you.